I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. For those of you that were with us last week, you know that we've begun to go through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to go verse by verse. We're going to take every last word of it, and we're going to milk all we can out of it. Um, so we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 1. When we left off, there was this great intro, which spoke of um, the reality of the time, which was that, that at the time, uh, for those of you that study history and biblical history, you know that there was the beginning of some really great persecution. Um, we don't know, by reading this right, right off the bat, different scholars will disagree, we don't know whether or not First uh, Peter was written during the great persecution in Rome or not. It might have happened just before the great persecution. But what we do know is that the group of people he wrote to, he wasn't writing to the people in Rome where he most likely was. He was writing to some of the people uh, in other parts of the empire that were going through a great deal of persecution. And he writes to them, not in a, they're there, I know it's tough, but in a way that really encourages them and gives them some strength in this time. One of the things that he uses to encourage them is the knowledge that, uh, first of all, this is no surprise to God. Second of all, the thing that saved them, the, the faith that God gave them is, is much more durable than they give it credit for. That they're not going to be destroyed. That in fact, he says, the faith that you have coming out of this will be stronger than the faith you had going into it. That the faith you have is worth more than gold. And, and even through this, it won't be destroyed. Peter learned that firsthand. As we talked about last week, he learned that firsthand as he went through a process where he had denied Jesus and Jesus said to him before he even did it, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. He didn't say, Peter, I'm praying that someday you'll come back. He doesn't say, Peter, I'm praying that your willpower won't fail. He didn't say, Peter, I'm praying for you that your friends won't fail. He says, Peter, I'm praying that your faith won't fail. Because in the end of the day, no matter what we're facing, it is our faith in God. It is him who's going to deliver us. It is him who's going to sustain us. And so what's being tested when you're being tested is your faith in your God. You see, if we were just testing your strength, we would have all failed, right? Is there anybody here that would pass the ultimate test by your strength alone? I mean, we wouldn't pass the test that he's talking about here. We wouldn't pass even a minor test, but what's being tested is not our strength. What's being tested is not our willpower. What's being tested is not even our, even our heart, but what's being tested is our faith. And I tell you, when it's genuine, it lasts. And thank God for that. You don't need to question that. God is able. As we say, God is able. And so if God is able and we can believe in God, then there's nothing that's impossible and there's nothing that can tear us uh, away from him. There's nothing that could tear us away from, from what he has for us. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we left off. I'm going to do this right now so you guys don't get distracted by the whole service. 1 Peter 1. And let's pick up, we, we left off with verse 9, but let's just read 8 and 9 to add context to what we're going to read in verse 10. It says, though you have not seen him, that being Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, 
seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, isn't that an amazing thought? That, uh, I mean, some of, some of our heroes, and I know most of, the, most of the Christians I've talked to, including myself, when I talk to myself, is, is we all have this list of people we want to talk to in heaven. Now, in reality, I think we'll be so in awe of Jesus, we might forget our list at the door. But uh, we all got this list of people we want to talk to and heroes of the faith. And, and if you're anything like me, there's people that you greatly look up to and you say, man, I, I admire that. I admire their integrity. I admire the fact that they stuck with it. I admire their great faith. Uh, I don't know if I could have done what Ezekiel did. I don't know if I could have done what Isaiah and Jeremiah did. I mean, to be like Elijah. I, I know that the same spirit that, that moved on Elijah when he prophesied now dwells in me. So I know through Christ I can do anything. But I greatly look up to these guys. But here's the deal. When they prophesied, now some of them prophesied more about the Messiah than others. But when they prophesied about about the future, and they prophesied about Jesus, and they prophesied about salvation and the redemption of mankind. Don't you know they wished they knew who they were talking about? They wished it could have been in their time. In fact, some of them thought maybe it could be. And so it says here that they, they made careful searches and inquiries. They were, they were just, I mean, desperate to find out, who am I talking about? Now, I don't believe that a prophet... Uh, most of the time at least, and I, I know that there's exceptions to this, but I don't believe most of the time a prophet just goes to a, into a trance and doesn't remember what they said. You know, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So most of the time when one prophesies, you know what you're doing. You may not remember everything, but you know what you're doing. Nevertheless, can you imagine being somebody like Isaiah and just rattling off all this stuff about a Messiah? And then when you stop thinking, what in the world am I talking about? What did I just say? I mean, can, who is this guy that we're talking about? Can you imagine being a man like Daniel who, who had, I mean, not only prophetic words for his generation, not even only prophetic words for the Messiah. He, he went all the way and there's stuff in Daniel that we haven't even reached yet. There's stuff in the Psalms where David is writing and I'm sure at the moment he thinks he's writing about himself, but at some point he begins to write about what Jesus would go through. Now, all these guys, they see what they spoke. They see what's written down and they go, who is this? When is this going to happen? And I, I'm sure they, the careful searches and inquiries they were making was great time in prayer. I'm sure it was time looking at other prophecies and yet it was revealed to them that they were doing this, let's, let's read what it says. It was revealed to them that they were not ser- serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through, the, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The salvation we're talking about here is the center and it is the crux of all human history. It's wonderful when we look at the Bible and we realize we are part of one long story. It begins in Genesis, and it's still not over yet. You know, sometimes we we look at the Old and the New Covenant, and we say, well, it's good to know about the Old Testament because we learn about some of those people, but, but, you know, this is us now. 
And thank God we are part of the new covenant. I'm thanking God that I was born on this side of the cross. Everything has changed. I agree. And yet, we're not separate from them. You know, in Hebrews, uh, it speaks of this long race that we're running. And I used to just think about my race. I used to think I want to finish my race and I want to finish it with joy. I want to finish it strong. When you read Hebrews and it talks about this great race that those have run before us and those that will run after us, and it talks about the cloud of witnesses, witnesses that are watching us, it makes it clear that the race we're running is not individual races. It's one long relay race. Because it goes on and it says, without us, their race isn't done. There are people in the Old Testament that ran their race and they ran it strong. There are people in the book of Acts that ran their race, and they ran it strong. But without us, their race isn't done. We're part of the same story that God's weaving. We're part of the same mission that he's been playing out since the beginning of time. Don't you love in the book of Genesis the moment mankind sinned? And he's really, it seems like, the punishment time when when God is listing all the things that they're going to have to deal with because they let sin into the world. Not because God was saying, "I, I want you to think about it, I want you to suffer, but rather they had invited these things in the world where their crops were once would have, would have been easy to harvest and easy to plant. Now they were going to do it with the sweat of their brow and thorns would spring up. Where once childbirth could be a purely joyous thing, now it was going to be in pain. But even in the midst of that, God turns his gaze towards the serpent and he says this. He says a few things. He says, first of all, you're going to eat dirt for the rest of your life. That's why it's not bad. I, I think some, there's a period of time where nobody, no Christians would buy a dirt devil vacuum cleaner, but it's, it's a good reminder that devil has to eat dirt, isn't it? You know, it's not a bad thing. Make him eat dirt. But God says, you're going to crawl on your belly for the rest of your life. But then he says this, he says, I will put enmity, I'm going to make you enemies with the seed of the woman. What a strange thing to say, because women do not have seed. But Jesus was born of a woman supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, virgin birth, said that the seed, the descendants of this woman will be enemies with you. They will, and the seed of this woman will crush your head. You may bruise its heel, but it will crush your head. He will crush your head. What's so beautiful about that is from the moment they sinned, God revealed the plan of redemption for them. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, whether it's the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the books of history, you see that story being weaved continuously and faithfully. He says here that these prophets are serving us. Now, how I want to ask you just rhetorically, how could they be serving us? How could these prophets be serving you? How are you served by those prophecies? That the people that Peter's writing to are just like, you know, they're not, they're not in the year 2015, but they're like us in the sense that they, they didn't know Jesus as he walked the earth because he says, you haven't seen him, but you love him. These were people that, that got saved from the words of others who had seen Jesus. So like us, they, they, they're on this side of the cross. They're new covenant believers. They might feel a bit detached from that history. And he goes on and he tells them that these prophecies are serving them. There's a salvation for you. Now, I want you to notice that he's talking about two different moments in time. First, he he does talk about the salvation that we've received right now. This salvation that we've already received, we have been radically, greatly saved. As the book of Hebrews says, how could we escape if we neglected so great a salvation? 
But then he begins to talk about a salvation to come. I know salvation can mean a lot of things. In this context, I'm sure they might have thought uh, on a very basic sense, salvation might just be you might rescue us from this persecution. But Peter's talking about something even much bigger than that, which was the, the ultimate completion of what God has begun, the ultimate redemption. You know, it's fun to look in the scripture and, and, and the, the Bible tells us that we've been adopted. We've received the adoption as sons, and we're sons and daughters of the living God, and yet it talks about the completion of our adoption is still ahead of us. There will be a day when you get to turn this old ratty body in for one that'll last. There is a day when all of the, 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 the weariness of this world that you're forced to put up with because you're born into it will give way to immortality. And the Bible tells us that's the completion of our adoption. That's the fullness of our adoption. That's the completion of our salvation. So there's a salvation we've received. There's a salvation we're working out. And there's a salvation to come, which will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. So I think a believer, a believer needs to have this connection where you say, I'm looking back and I'm seeing what God has done. I'm looking at right now and seeing what he's doing right now. And I'm looking ahead. And I haven't forgotten what he's about to do. You might think that, what would you tell a group of people that are going through deep persecution? How would you help them? Peter does two things in this letter. He ties it, A, he ties it back to Jesus. And he continues to tell them, keep your eyes on Jesus. He went through this. Jesus, he, watch what he did. What, he did this for you. He, I mean, there is nothing you're going through that he hasn't been through, and he's there right now. But he also ties them to the future, and he begins to show them, guys, this is real temporary. There is something coming that, that will make this seem like nothing. It's easy to get so wrapped up in the present, whether it's because we're comfortable in the present or we're traumatized in the present. It's easy to get stuck in the present. Men and women of faith will not only look backwards and see the faithfulness of God, but they'll look ahead and they'll say, this is temporary, but God isn't done yet. Now, he says this, and I, I just, I'm picturing these men and women of prophecy that are desperate to find out who this Messiah is. And then it talks about angels longing to look into what we can see. You ever considered... How lightly we take the Bible. How, how sometimes it's just another. Now, I mean, for, for so long I might have said it's just another book on our shelf to some people. But now it might just be another app on your phone. And sometimes, and nothing wrong with having it on your phone. I'm not saying that. But it, it, sometimes we take it so lightly, the amount of, of access to information we have. We, we can get... Any sort of information we want, we can get it almost instantly. And so we've got no lack of good teaching. We've got no lack of good preaching and exposition on the Word of God. And, and it's a wonderful thing, but we could take it really lightly. I, I often think about how in the Old Testament, in, in, as the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and they had the tabernacle, how only one guy once a year could go into the presence of God. I mean, I'm talking about the Holy of Holies, the, that intense pure presence of God. One guy once a year got to go in there. And now how any of us now, because of the blood of Jesus, any one of us at any given time can go into the presence of God. 
Now, can you imagine having a conversation with those Israelites of the time? As they talk about how they looked in and they tried to catch a peek. Not even of the Holy of Holies, but just the, just the inner court. Just simply where the, I mean, even if they could see that. Imagine you telling them, you know what, I can go into the presence of God anytime. Can you imagine them saying, oh, well, well, you must just spend all your time doing that. You go, well, hockey is on now. Well, my work's really busy. And, uh, you know, well, you wouldn't believe the games we have now. <laughs> I mean, what you didn't have was uh, Xbox, and we have that now. And we've got our iPhones. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's so funny to think about how jealous they might have been of us. And I don't want you to feel guilty today, but I want you to realize how much you've got. Do you realize you have all the Old Testament saints would be jealous of you? The angels are jealous of you. I always find it weird when people say, oh, you know, God just needs another angel in heaven. That's why he killed your three-year-old. You say, well, first of all, no, you know, God, God doesn't need another person, you know, to him. Time is like that, or time can be like that. So he's not just saying, oh, I made a mistake creating you. I miss you. Come back. But then again, we're not going to become angels. You guys know that, right? We don't have to get demoted. You want to do that? You want to get knocked down a peg? Because the Bible tells us that angels, they don't have what we have. Jesus said, because the Pharisees tried to trip him, and they said, he, they said you know, what's going to happen if you have a, a wife? She dies. You get remarried. You have another wife. Who are you going to be married to in heaven? Jesus says, well, you're not going to be married in heaven at all. We're going to be like the angels in that regard. But he doesn't say you'll become angels because the angels wish they had what you had. They wish they had that forgiveness. They wish they had the blood of Jesus. They wish they, had to be, they were able to be called sons and daughters of the living God. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, to which of these angels has he ever said, you are my son, today I've begotten you. None of them. But yet he said that to you. We ought to realize how blessed we are. We stand in the middle of prophecy. They were serving us. What are we supposed to do with that information? That's real nice. What are we supposed to do with it? He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just stop there for a minute and realize that he's not only reminding them of the prophecy that's been fulfilled in Jesus. But he's reminding them also of a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. And as much as we look back and say, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies, we got to look ahead and say, he will fulfill all of those ones that haven't been fulfilled yet. So Peter reminds them of what Jesus has already fulfilled. But then he says, now, get your minds ready. Be sober in spirit. Be alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about that moment when Jesus is fully revealed in all his glory. How do we know that that's what he's talking about? Well, you know, it's, it's also written in the scripture that we don't yet see who we're going to look like, what we're going to look like. But it says that in a moment we will be changed. When we see him, we'll be like him for we will see him as he is. 
There's a moment where we're going to meet Jesus. The Bible says we're going to meet him in the clouds. It's a great reunion because he comes to the clouds and we meet him there. It says the dead, of, dead in Christ will rise. Scripture says in, in, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that the, those that are dead already that have fallen asleep will come back with Jesus. And then they'll go and they'll get their bodies. And I don't know how God does that because I think most of their bodies have turned into other things, you know? <laughs> Most of their bodies don't look like bodies anymore. But God, the Bible says God is able to give them a body. And they come back and we go up and we all meet in the clouds. It says when we see him, we'll be changed. It's brilliant. We've all met people that are so wrapped up in that moment that they get a little annoying to be around. Maybe we haven't all met but that's all they talk about. All they talk about is the, the rapture this and rapture that. All they talk about is the second coming. So what do you do? You get annoyed by them and you go to the other side of the ditch. You don't talk about it at all. And that's just as wrong. Because the scripture tells us that all throughout the New Testament, you can read it over and over again, that those that God wants, God's people, he wants to be eagerly and anxiously awaiting his coming. He wants them to be looking for it. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're the manager of McDonald's right there, you manage McDonald's and you've got workers that work really hard when you're around and not so hard when you're not around. So you tell them, guys, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but I'll give you an idea of when I'm coming back and I'll give you some signs that I'm coming back. So imagine you've got two workers that take that to heart. One of them begins to see the signs. The other one sees the signs too. They both see the signs, but one of them sees the signs and he comes to the back door where you're going to come in and he waits like a little puppy dog. For half an hour when he should be doing his work, he just waits, he just waits. And he, he, he in fact, gets, blows some balloons up, he gets some streamers and he says, I have planned a party for your return. And he is so excited, it's all he'll talk about is the manager's coming back. We don't know when, but we know it's soon. I'm seeing some signs. And so he gathers by the door. And he waits. And then he, he grabs more people and says, come with me. Wait, wait, wait by the door. And he's wrong in a few predictions. He predicted you would be back at 530 or not. He predicted you'd be back at 547. You're, you're, you're not. Then he says, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 7 is the perfect number. 7 o'clock, he'll be back. So you come back and you find that this person is waiting for you. And he says, I was right. I was here. I was waiting for you. But this whole time, he's got no work done. He's just been waiting for you like a puppy dog. Oh, well, you're happy to be happily. You're happy that somebody's happy to see you, but you wish he'd done his work. The other guy saw the signs. And with every sign of your return, he got more excited that you were coming back. But the more he knew you were coming back soon, and the more he could see it probably would be very soon the harder he worked because he knew when you came back, you wanted to see him working. You wanted to see him doing what you left him there to do. That guy's going to get the raise. Ultimately, we should be expecting the return of Jesus Christ. We should be looking forward to it. We should be excited about it. We should be talking about it. But what do you do with that information? What do you do with it? Do we spend all our time trying to figure out, well, uh, and by the way, I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I've just lived through the 80s, and the 80s were crazy about this stuff, guys. 
It was a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming, 1988. And unless I missed it, he didn't come. So, you know, we could all just spend all our time trying to figure out the exact moment, or we could say this, what did he leave us here to do? The more I get closer, the more people I want to get saved. The more, I, the more I want to discover his plan and his will, the more I want to pray, the more I want to say I want to be in on his mission because I know he's coming back soon. Peter ties it to this. He says, prepare your minds for action. In the literal Greek, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. There were soldiers in certain parts of the world there that, that would have these long cloaks or, you know, some, some sort of outer garment that if they were going to, they're about to get ready for battle or they're going to run. Or even a regular Joe Blow that's walking around was, has to get ready to run or get ready to fight. You'd tie up that garment. You'd gird it up so that you wouldn't trip over it. You, you wouldn't walk around all day with your garment girded up like that. You'd look like a weirdo, but you gird it up right at the moment that you're about to run. When you do, you're ready. He says, you need to do that with your mind. Do you guys think that we might need to do that a little bit? How easy is it for us to get distracted, to get complacent? How many things are there to keep our attention and to get us all over the place? But he says, gird up your mind. Get serious about this because Jesus is coming. And don't worry about what you're going through because he says, it is for a little while. There will be an end to it. I love what Paul writes. He says, The night is almost gone. The day is almost here. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. All throughout the New Testament, you will find this. If you do a search and find every time that the apostles wrote of Jesus coming and and reminding the people, be aware that Jesus is coming, it always tied into them living differently. Always did. The awareness and the excitement that Jesus was coming caused them to live different lives. And I believe that's what it'll do for us. But he says this, that this grace is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to see something. First of all, let's just take a peek. I want you to eventually turn to Matthew chapter 13. But I just want to read something from, from the book of Daniel just to give you a peek at some of, the, some of what um, Peter was writing about, about the prophets just making careful searches and inquiries, being desperate to find out what in the world they were prophesying about. Daniel 10. Daniel's seen this great vision and it has freaked him out. Daniel 10, 7, he says, Now I, Daniel alone, saw the vision. While the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was alone and I saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor and I retained no strength. As I heard the sound of his words and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and he sent me trembling on my hands and knees, he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand that the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. 
Now, I just want to just hold your place there, and I want to read you what, he's, what happened before this, because before this, um, he says that he had made this careful inquiry. He had made this, this the, the vision he saw freaked him out so much that he said he was sick for, for days, that he was exhausted for days. And you see, now he's still exhausted by the, the vision he sees. And the angel goes and he says to him, don't be afraid, I, you have high esteem in heaven. And he says, understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, I've come in response to your word. He goes on and he explains to him, and we won't go into all the meanings of the vision, but he goes on and he tells them something that, that stops him in his tracks. He gives him some explanations. He gives him some meaning to what he's seen, but Daniel still doesn't grasp all of it. And one of the things that the angel has said to him is, understand this, Daniel, this is for the end. There are some things I'm telling you right now that won't even be unlocked until the end. You see, when Daniel started praying, I mean, he had, I don't want to mush all the visions that he had together, but there was a moment where he looked into the prophets of old and he did the math. And he said, God told us we were going to be in this land for this period of time. And we're still here. And that time is about to come. So he went down to the river and he put his face before God and he began to pray. And then God gave him a vision of what was to come. See, he reached back into the word that God had spoken. And by reaching back and holding on to God's word and saying, I'm going to pray this out. I'm going to pray this through. God spoke to him and revealed stuff that wasn't even going to happen even, even, even in the lifetime of Jesus Christ. He revealed stuff about the Messiah. But then he went on and revealed things about the end times. And he says to Daniel, this is for the end. When Daniel went to prayer, all he wanted to know about was right now. But God gives him this great revelation about the end, and it messes with him. For days he can't eat. For days he's exhausted. He can't show up for work. And the angel speaks to him. This is not the first time he has this experience, not the last, where an angel says, I've come for your words. I heard, God heard you the moment you started praying, and here's some explanation. But even Daniel didn't get the full explanation. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower that we know so well. In verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. I want you to take note of the word become. That's a gradual process. It wasn't an instant thing. It was a gradual process. I wonder if you've, if you've thought about why he says to the disciples, it's been granted to, to you to know the mysteries. It's been granted to you to know why I'm saying what I'm saying. Why not the other people? 
Well, if you read this account in the other gospels, you find out that those are the people that followed him up the mountain and asked the question. Everybody else stayed at the base of the mountain, wondering why Jesus just told them a farming story. And that's how he ended it. Seed falls on the road, it stays on the road until birds come and steal it. Seed falls on rocky soil, it only goes so far, dries up, goes away. Seed falls on thorny soil, gets choked up, dies, becomes unfruitful. Seed falls on good soil, it bears much fruit. Then he walked away. You can imagine being dragged to that meeting by your wife. Because this Jesus is an amazing teacher. And you show up, and he's going to say something that's going to rock your world. I can't wait. I'm going to see some miracles. I'm going to hear a message. This better be a good message. He better tell some jokes. He better, he better blow my mind because you've been talking this guy up for a while. He gets up, and he tells a bunch of farmers that, you know, if you throw seed on the road, it doesn't grow. And walks away. And the disciples follow him. And, and the book of Luke tells us that there's actually a large group of disciples, over 70 at least. I mean, there's, there's a large group of them. We're not just talking about the 12 that heard this. There's a large crowd that's more than just spectators. They want to know something. And they follow him up and they say, what were you talking about? Now, sometimes we think we're good Christians and we're good church people by just shutting up and saying, if I don't get it, I don't get it. I don't know. But I think that God's looking for people that will desire his, his word enough that if you don't get something, you'll ask. You might ask a person. You might seek the Lord. Either way, you're trusting the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you, and you won't settle down until you know what it is you're seeking. Jesus said, I, I don't throw. He said, don't cast pearls before swine and don't give what's holy to dogs. And it's offensive to us that Jesus would call anybody a pig. But he would never survive in today's political atmosphere, would he? He would have just, one thing like that on Twitter, he'd be done for. He says, don't give pearls to swine. Well, what, what in the world, what in the world does he mean by that? You know, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about pearls being worth more than anything. These really, these pearls of great price. And yet you and I know if we went today and we went and found some hogs, we went and found some sows, and we threw them a pearl when they were expecting corn, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say thank you. They, they would bite it probably because you've seen pigs, they, they'll, they'll bite anything you give them. But they'd be very disappointed. In fact, Jesus says if you do this, they will get mad, they will turn at you, and they will trample you. And I've been there, and you know what? If you preach long enough, you'll get there at some point. I mean, not here. You guys are great, but I'll tell you, people want corn. They want potatoes. Sometimes there's a pearl. You know the nice thing about corn? It tastes good. Nice thing about potatoes? Fills you right up. Pearl, you have to see something beyond the surface. It's worth so much more. Jesus is giving them. Now, they want to be entertained. They want, their, they want to be impressed. And he's giving them something worth so much more than that. But just like a pig, they crunch down on it and go, this doesn't taste like corn. What is this? And they get angry. Or like the Pharisees, they demand signs. You know, the Pharisees demanded a sign. How many times did they do it? But, but the one time that stands out to me when Jesus finally said, you're not going to get any signs, was right after he had fed first the 5,000 and then the 4,000. Then they say, yeah, but give us a sign. Neat parlor trick, but give us a sign. 
Jesus says, you won't get any signs. Well, you and I both know that Jesus continued to do miracles. So what does he mean you won't get any signs? Because if that wasn't good enough for you, if you didn't see what I've already done and recognize the supernatural power in it, nothing I do is going to impress you. So he says, the hearts of this people have become dull. With their eyes, they, ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. When was the last time you considered that your eyes are blessed to see what you see and your ears to hear what you hear? A couple of weeks ago we talked about, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how the apostles, uh, right before the day of Pentecost and, and after, all of a sudden, they saw themselves in the Old Testament prophets. All of a sudden, they saw Judas in the prophecy uh, that this one, his, his, his land, would, his place would be divided amongst other people and given away, and that uh, his spot in, in, the, in the group would be replaced by another. Let another man take his place. They took that prophecy to mean we got to pick another guy to fill the twelve. And as you read the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, they continually are quoting the Old Testament prophets saying this is exactly what they were talking about and this is what they were talking about and this is what they were talking about. They were coming alive to the fact that they were living out prophecy. You may not realize it right now, but we are too. And there is stuff that's in that book. There is stuff that they wish they knew. There is stuff that angels wish they could peer into that we're living out right now. But you could see it and not see it. And you could hear it and not hear it. That's exactly what happened as Jesus walked the earth. Prophecy was being fulfilled every day. How many hundreds of prophecies, some of you who have studied the issue, how many prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Just, I mean, there were so many prophecies from every, almost every prophet, every book in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus, and he filled every last one. And yet, most of the people there, in fact, the people that knew the prophecies better than anybody else, didn't see it. I've told you about this before. We've, we, we like to read this at Christmas, but I love in Luke, when Jesus is first brought to the temple, that baby boy, and, you know, we've had, we have baby dedications here. Baby dedications are wonderful when the kids are nice and behaved. But, you know, sometimes they cry. They're still wonderful. Even when they cry and they scream, they're babies, we love them. But you think, if it was the law of Moses that the firstborn be dedicated to the Lord, and that's why Mary and Joseph took Jesus, how many people would take their babies to the temple to be dedicated? Probably a lot. And yet, for some reason, there's an old man there named Simeon who's been waiting at the temple for years, and God promised him, you won't die until you see my salvation. Yes, yes. And it says he was righteous, devout, and looking for the consolation of Israel. And I've talked to you about this before, but I love those three words, righteous, devout, and looking. Because he was righteous, because he was devout, and because he was looking, he got to hold Jesus yes. in his arms. And when everybody else saw this naked crying baby, Simeon saw salvation for Israel. 
And you know what else happened as they're walking out? Anna, the prophetess, is an old woman, and she's been hanging around the, the temple for all this time, waiting. And she sees him, and she prophesies over him, and she rejoices, and then she goes and finds her club, because she's got a club. Because the scripture says she goes and tells all who were looking for the salvation of Israel. So there's a group of them that get together. She knows who they are. It's not the folks in a high position because you know what? The wise men came into Jerusalem when Jesus was first born, when Jesus was at least young. And they came into Jerusalem and they said, where is this baby? Where is the Messiah going to be born? And the religious folks had the exact right answer. They said, Bethlehem. But not one of them followed the wise men to Bethlehem. Not one of them said we should go check it out, except Herod, who was motivated by jealousy. All the religious folks say, well, people ask that question, but who knows? Some crazy people from the East. Isn't it funny? So who sees the Messiah? Those that are righteous, devout, and looking. Who sees the salvation of Israel? Those that are waiting and praying for it. I'm telling you, we're living out stuff right now. We are in the middle of prophecy. We are in the middle of the culmination of all things. We're in the middle of the end. And that's a good thing. It could be a scary thing to some, but not to us, because we know who holds the future. And guys, I'm telling you, we could, we could live through it and miss it. I'm not telling you you're going to miss the rapture. I'm not telling you that, but we can miss all that God's doing. We can miss all of this. Now, I don't want to be one of those guys. He gets so wrapped into it, I forget what God put me here to do. If I'm not leading people to Jesus, if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not out there doing what Jesus left us on the planet to do, we might as well just go right now. And some of us would say, well, yeah, I'll go. You got a ticket. Here's the other thing. This is great comfort to people that are in great trouble. And I think that this is one of the things that we forget sometimes because we know that faith looks ahead, doesn't it? Faith looks ahead. Faith says, I know that God is able. I'm not stuck in the moment. I know that, there, that he is my redeemer. I know he's provided a way of escape. And we look ahead and that is, that's absolutely important. But faith also looks back. There's a reason that God told the Israelites, build monuments when I do something. He says, pile up these stones Pile up these stones so that someday, he says this, when your sons ask you, Father, what do these stones mean? You might tell them what I did in this place. It's not a coincidence that God goes around introducing himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he is a God of covenant and because he wants you to look back and see his faithfulness and look ahead and see his promises and look to right now and say he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to get out of the moment sometimes and realize that there is something much bigger than this. As Paul said, he has delivered us, he is delivering us, and he will yet yes. deliver us. Yes. Amen. We're part of it. We're living it out. Hallelujah. You're blessed because you're alive at this moment. We're blessed. We say, oh man, I wish I could have seen David kill Goliath. As cool as that might have been. You're blessed to be here, right here, right now. But the only people that are going to realize it are the people that wake up to it. Wake up. See what God's done. Open your eyes. 
Let's not be like the Israelites who, who sleepwalk through Jesus' time on earth and they miss the day of their visitation because they're looking for things that'll, that'll impress them. They're looking for things that'll blow them away when all you gotta do is say, God, open my eyes to see what you are doing right now. Blessed are your eyes to see what they see and your ears to hear what they hear. For prophets and kings have longed to see what you see. Lord, we thank you. Stand with me tonight.